Do all of your tales have tales? Mine too. We all enjoy a funny story, an uplifting account, or a sweet childhood memory involving animals. And that's what we're sharing on this podcast. As a lifelong animal lover like you, and as a professional pet and people photographer, you can imagine I have many tales to tell. This show features interviews recorded from the radio show Critter Patter and tales told by me or other special guests. Hey, Tales with Tales listener. I have a fellow photographer as a guest on the show today. Don Wilson from Estes Park joined me for the Critter Patter radio show, and we talked quite a bit about what it's like to go into Rocky Mountain National Park during the summer of 2020, which is right now as I record. There are some new things in place, but there are also some really cool side effects for the animals and the habitat. So you want to make sure you listen pretty carefully to this episode if you plan on taking a trip up to Rocky Mountain National Park anytime soon. And stay tuned to the very end as well, because Dawn splits her time between Colorado and Alaska, and she's working on a very special project right now to help save bears and bear habitats in a particular area of Alaska. So I want to make sure that you hear about that project as well. So enjoy today's episode with photographer Dawn Wilson. I have a guest today that shares a similar profession to mine, but with a different focus. Get it? Focus. Thanks for joining us here from Estes Park, which is very close to the Rocky Mountain National Park. And we're going to talk about that today as well, what that looks like. We are in summer of 2020, so it's a little different to go into national parks right now. And Don is right there at the gate and is in there all the time. But I want to do a little backtrack and talk a little bit about what you do as a profession. I, I really love looking at all of your images of the wildlife and everything. Can you tell everyone, <laughs> your, I, just, I love your tagline, I tell you that all the time, your tagline and kind of what led you to this path? So my tagline is wildlife photography of high altitudes and high latitudes of the Rocky Mountains and Alaska. And basically where that stemmed from is a, just a, a passion for watching wildlife. I love to photograph. I love to watch. I love to learn about wildlife. Um, but I like the cold. So I like watching wildlife and photographing wildlife that also likes the cold. So that tends to be higher elevations such as here in the Rocky Mountains or farther north like Montana or Alaska where the temperatures tend to be a little bit colder. And that's where you tend to find a lot of those bigger mammals too as well as some of those alpine tundra animals like marmots and pikas. So have you, has this been a focus like your entire career or has it changed over time? No, it's definitely changed over time. And I think it's more that I've narrowed it down. Um, hmm. You know, as a, as a kid, I was the one that always carried my camera around and it was more to document, you know, family events and what my friends were doing and kind of photographing some of the some of the landscapes that were around me in, in New Jersey, like at, down at the shore or in the cities, I would go into Philadelphia and photograph some of the cityscapes. And then as I got into college, I, I was on the yearbook staff, so that became more people and documentary oriented. And again, focused on that in college as a communications major and I was on the newspaper staff. So again, a lot of photojournalism style photography 
And after I graduated college, you know, I was in my 20s and most people in their 20s are focused more on their social life. And um, so I was working in Philadelphia and did some cityscape type work, but I never felt like I had the the culture around me or the community around me that was focused on nature as well back east. So in 2002, after I finished my MBA at Temple back in Philadelphia, I decided to move to Colorado. And after that move, I really got into nature and being outdoors, which is why I moved here. I wanted to move here for the lifestyle. And I now feel like I have that, that community, that, that, that group of people around me that really love the outdoors as much as I do. So I really started narrowing my photography down to nature photography and then kept narrowing it down into more into wildlife. Um, and then in 2012 and 2013, I had a, a bunch of personal things happen in my life that really changed um, what I wanted out of my own personal life, what I wanted to do as, as a career and things. So I actually left my corporate job that I had been doing for 20 years and decided to just focus on my photography and my writing business. And although I did for a little while go back and take another full-time job, for the most part since 2013, I've just been doing this with a focus on the wild, on wildlife. Um, basically telling their stories, leading workshops. I do a lot of writing about wildlife and the places where they live and doing um, some conservation work as much as I can. Whoa, I didn't realize that photography went all the way back for you. Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> yeah, I and, have a lot of those photo albums, you know, from the days that where we printed photos of you know, different yeah. things that I saw growing up back in New Jersey. But oh, yeah. I've been to New Jersey once, and there's a reason they call it the Garden State. I really liked it. Yes. Yeah. It has its beautiful, you know, I've really learned with all the travel I've done, I've really learned every place has its its beautiful places. You know, you know, True. people ask me, they're like, well, why do they call it the Garden State? And it's it's really, you know, you go to the northwest portion of the state, it's beautiful in the fall. The shore can be gorgeous. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of shorebirds. If you like to photograph wildlife, there's a lot of different birds there to photograph. So, so when you kind of just zoop, plopped yourself in Colorado, what did it feel like home right away? Like, yeah, this is exactly it. Um, you know, kind of yes, yes and no. It's, it definitely felt from a lifestyle perspective. I loved it here. You know, I loved mm -hmm. being able to to go out and hike right away and be so close to the mountains and to be able to kind of work during the week and then escape on the weekends, you know, kind of those weekend warrior, weekend warrior types. And, but there were still things I missed about New Jersey. I, I still miss the food. I miss, you know, I think we all miss the food that we grow up with. You know, obviously I have friends and family out there that, that I miss seeing them. I miss the shore. I do miss being at the beach, especially this time of year. But you know, the weather's gorgeous out here. The mountains are gorgeous. It's, you, know, you, you have four very distinct seasons, beautiful seasons, and there's something always out there to photograph. So I really enjoy that aspect of living here. I totally agree. I lived most of my life in the Pacific Northwest and it, it's beautiful and I explored that, but there's just something about Colorado. That's so is. amazing, amazing. And I know this time of year, there's so many people traveling here that, you know, maybe this is their only chance they'll ever get to see maybe an elk or the mountains or any of those kind of things. And I feel so, so gracious to be able to do, go see that. Like the first time I ever went to Rocky, I stood there and I thought, oh, people all over the globe wait their entire life to stand right here. Like it's amazing, right? Well, and it's fun. I, I do, I take people into the park for photo tours and do some guiding up there. And, 
And it's, I love that, that feeling of sharing my knowledge with other people. And, you know, for the first time that they've seen an elk or the first time they see a moose or the first time they see a bighorn sheep, or even, you know, some of the smaller animals that they know they can't see, um, you know, back in California or Kansas or wherever they may be coming from. Um, that is always, you, you know, that they'll always remember that first, first experience. Yes. And what's really cool about you is that you're not just like clicking away, taking pretty pictures of the animals. You know about them as well. And you know the places you're going to, especially with your focus on Alaska and like Colorado. You know exactly where to go, what behaviors to look for, what's to expect different times of year. Uh, there's so much more than just here I have a, a great picture of a moose, which is awesome, but there's a lot more to it. I love that uh, we were talking before the show that you're the only permitted female photography guide in Rocky. Um, as far as I know, I am. Know. I know there are a couple of, um, there are a couple of tour companies that have female guides, uh, but they're not specific to photography. There's only a yeah. few of us that do photo specific tours. And as far as I know, I believe I am the only female that, that that runs that that's where so I can guarantee cool. that that I'm the only that I will be out there accompanying my my guests so yeah that is really cool you know we both know a lot of photographers in the area and they go to places all over the world and they go on photo tours specifically um, so there's a big difference between a photo tour and a sightseeing tour wouldn't you say Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we customize or I customize based on time of day and based on what people are looking for. So if they want to see a moose, we can't go out in the middle of the day when it's hot. They just, they don't, that's part of understanding those animals. You mentioned mm -hmm. my, my knowledge about not just photography, but the animals themselves. Animals, especially moose, don't like the heat in the summertime. So they tend to, you can see them, but you're not going to see them as regularly. Um, they'd rather be in the in the shadows in the shade where it's a little bit cooler and they'll come out you know first thing in the morning and first thing in the afternoon so if that's something that somebody wants to see then I need to kind of modify where we're going to go based on on that information mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and since I moved to Colorado about eight years ago I try to get up to the park three four or five times a year it just depends this year's been a little different it was closed for a while of course um, it's a little harder now to get to go to the park I can't just kind of as even a semi-local drop everything and just I'm gonna go to the park today <laughs> it's a little bit different and honestly Don I don't I would love to hear your thoughts on this too I kind of like the new format you know, I, I will be honest, as somebody that lives in Estes yes. Park, I'm the same way. You know, the, the first time I heard about a reservation system, I'm like, I live right here. And if I want to, like you said, you know, I take you know, all the time. I'm like, you know what? I'm having a rough day. I'm going to go take a drive for an hour and just drive into the park. Well, I can't do that anymore mm -hmm. unless it's before 6 a.m. or after 5 p.m. I can't do it in the middle of the day anymore. Um, so it was at first a little bit of a you know, there was some frustration there, but I'll be honest, it's been a little bit nicer that the park's not as crowded as it normally is. Mm -hmm. um, you don't see the lines at the gate so much anymore. You don't see, there's still some, some issues with parking because there's still, the popular areas are still popular. So even though there aren't as many people in the park, they're still kind of all going to the same vicinity. But, you know, overall, it's, you don't see as many people on the trails. You don't see as much um, congestion on the road. So I, there are definitely some benefits out of it too. 
Yeah, and for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, every, uh, from what I understand, national parks are all kind of doing it a little bit differently, but at Rocky Mountain National Park, not only do you need your regular pass that you've always needed, of whichever kind you have, but there's a timed entry pass now. It's super cheap, like $2. It's $2 per reservation. (laughs) A reservation, which is like your car full. Uh, But, you know, kind of the early morning, six and eight o'clock, they go kind of quick. Uh, So you just have to make sure that you have that extra ticket to get in in addition to your normal pass. Correct. So you can go to recreation.gov and on on there just, I think it's, if you search for timed entry for Rocky Mountain National Park, I think it comes up. Um, but basically what they're doing is they are selling two hour slots from 6 a.m. to 5 p.m. So if you want to go in and start a hike at 7 a.m., you need to have that 7, 7 to 9 a.m. time slot permit. So that'll get you through the entrance gate. Um, they do, they're, Right now, I, I want to say it's a month out that they, they sell passes, but they hold back 10% of the passes for each day. So, and then they release those two days prior to the actual date. So there is a little bit of leeway for some last minute planning. So for, for like all of us that live along the front range and we say, hey, it's going to be a beautiful weekend, they do, re- they do hold back a, a few of those so that you can still, if you're still planning out a couple days in advance, you can still try to get that. Um, it's only been within the last few weeks, last week or so, I would say maybe since 4th of July that I've noticed that the, the, um, reservations are sold out prior to that. They weren't selling out each day and you could still get some permits later in the afternoon. Like you said, the first, the ones first thing in the morning tend to be pretty popular. Um, but you can, if you're an early morning riser, like I am, you can get into the park before 6am without a permit, or you can get in after 5pm without a permit. Anybody that has a um, commercial permit in the park to operate in the park like I do, we don't need our permit actually covers that. So people can do that option as well. And then, so that's for like any of the guiding, the tour companies here in town. And then the other option would be if you're camping, it's also included. You don't need to have a timed entry for that. Your camping reservation actually covers it. I would suspect though that most of the camping reservations are taken for the year. Yeah, I would think so. So So, let me clarify for a second. Like, say someone uh, hires you to take them on a a tour for the day to do some photography. Your tour permit allows them in without that timed ticket. Correct. Okay. Do they also, do they need to have the day pass or a national, you know, federal pass, any of those? Yes, they still need to have their own. So I have one and then they would need to have one as well. So whether they want to buy a day, day pass or an annual pass, I always recommend using the annual pass. I think they're a pretty good value. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, interesting. All right. So that's pretty cool to know. Um, One of the things that I, I don't know if they're still doing this with those timed entries, I think they're trying to keep the park at like 60% of what they used to let in. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. And it feels so different. Like, I've only been up twice this summer, um, but the town itself is extremely busy. So busy. Ridiculously busy. Like, ah, (laughs) I couldn't believe how busy it was even pre-4th of July. But once you get into the park, it just feels different to me. Uh, Yeah? I would agree. It's definitely, um, I mean, I still go in pretty early, so it's still not, it's never as busy that time of the day (laughs) as it is kind of a little bit later, but um, but I would definitely agree. There are a lot, there still are a lot of people in Estes Park and you're seeing a lot of people like around Lake Estes and you're kind of discovering things that they weren't discovering 
previously. Mm. So we have national forest trails, which a lot of those trails actually allow dogs. So if people want to come up and hike with their dogs, they're doing that. There's a lot of op opportunities around Lake Estes. You can go to the marina, rent boats and kayaks and different things. You want to go out in a, out in a lake. Um, you know, so there, there's other things here in town to do, and I think people are starting to discover that. It's still a great place to come visit, spend the, spend the day or spend the weekend, but I agree that it's taken a little bit more planning to get into the park right now, and as a result, I think it, it does make the experience a little bit better. And here's, here's another theory for you, Don, since you understand about the actual animals. I had read there's this Facebook group for people wanting to travel to the park, asking questions. One person had commented, and I wanted to know your take on this, that because the park was completely shut down, no visitors for what, I don't know, two or three months. I, uh, I think it was at least eight weeks. I was actually looking okay. at it the other day. I was trying to come up with a date. So yeah. Yeah, I think it was about eight weeks. And that was right about the time a lot of the wildlife were maybe having babies or just about to. And then I've heard so many accounts of people seeing all kinds of babies like elk and moose. And some people said, well, because they were undisturbed during, during that time. What do you think about that theory? I'm kind of in agreement. I feel okay. like even here in town, because it wasn't as busy in town either, even though Estes mm -hmm. Park was open, um, I feel like I'm seeing more baby birds this year. I'm seeing more nests. I'm lucky if I maybe find one hummingbird nest a season. This year I found four. Wow. Um, there was a coyote den the day that the park reopened at the end of May. The day that the park opened, there was a coyote den not far from the road that had 13 pups in it. <gasps> Um, of course, as soon as people started showing up, they moved all the pups to a to a more secretive location, and nobody saw them again. But but yeah, there was definitely a, a there is a feeling of um, health and vibrancy with the wildlife that I think having that quiet time allowed them to kind of just take a breather and have a little bit less stress in their life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's I, pretty amazing. There's so many miles and miles and miles of land that we can't even see or access. So just a little bit that even humans are on, I think, made a difference. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. I don't know if they're studying that at all. I know I've mm. talked to a couple of other people. It would be really interesting to see if there are any population studies going on about not just this year, but how does it have an effect in the, you know, the next couple of years, too? Um, yeah, you know, because a lot of these animals run in cycles. I feel like I've heard a lot of people say they're they're seeing a lot more mice this year, hmm. a lot more squirrels. So like everything, it's not just the bigger mammals. It seems oh. like it's I've seen a lot of rabbits this year. Um, so it does really seem like you know maybe it's just car fatalities. You know, being hit oh. by cars on roads that could have an impact. You know, there were fewer cars up here for a long period of time, or maybe it's just yeah, just a stress level. And and I'm not a biologist. So I don't know, necessarily know those answers, but I'm, I'm sure some of that stuff has an, has an impact. It's really intriguing. Yeah, now that you say that, I feel like I saw a lot more chipmunks, <laughs> you know? Yeah, a lot yeah. of chipmunks, a lot of golden mantle ground squirrels are running around. Okay. It's just, it is definitely a little bit more active this year. And there's still fewer people in the park. So, yeah. you know, I think that that in itself too might be having an effect too. True. Oh, yeah, of course. That makes sense. <laughs> Before we get any further done, if anyone wants to go look at her, we haven't even talked about your wildlife photography, but that's 
incredible. If anyone wants to go take a look at just some of the work that she's done, because we can't really say describe it good enough on a radio show, right? Um, it's DonWilsonPhotography.com, D-A-W-N. Yes? Yes. Okay. DonWilsonPhotography.com. If you're wondering what does a bald eagle close-up look like, <laughs> I'm looking at your website now. What does a polar bear look like? All, all the different amazing photos can be seen there. And, and there's links to all the other places, uh, socials, <laughs> the socials <laughs> to catch, catch your new, new shots too, because it's hard to keep our websites all the time up to date. Yeah, I would say Instagram, Facebook are, are the two that I'm most active on. Okay. Um, just for the latest photos and the latest things that I'm doing. Mm, yeah. And I just, every time I, I it's like a uh, thumb stopping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, hey, what's also kind of nice is like, even if I just do a little casual drive through the park, I might get some snapshots with my phone if I don't feel like taking a camera but it's nice to have professional photographers out there that I can go okay here's here's a moose I would have seen <laughs> yeah you know? and you never know you know I think you know one of the things I do with photography and I teach this to other to to the students that I take out as well is that you always want to go out with something in mind you always oh. want to have some sort of direction to kind of drive where you're going that day, what you're looking for that day. So for example, this morning I went out first thing for sunrise and I went up to Sprague Lake, which I think is one of the mm. better spots in the park for sunrise. And it was, it was somewhat okay. And then there, um, you know, there's a couple of different animals I usually look for in that area, but you know, nothing was kind of appearing. So I wanted to get back into town. And as I'm leaving, there is this hairy woodpecker that was like super comfortable right along the trail. And I'm like, all right, well, you, so you'd never know what's going to cross your path. I certainly wasn't looking for the woodpecker. Um, he was sitting on a stump versus normally they're on the sides of trees. This, this one happened to be on top of a stump pecking at it, looking for bugs. So, you know, it became a, a really good opportunity. And um, I write a, a, I write a weekly column about wildlife, um, five fun facts about wildlife and every animal it's a different one. So it was like, Oh, this will be a really good series of photos to accompany that. That article. So you never know. You have to kind of keep your eyes open and be willing to kind of adjust to what you're seeing while you're out looking for your specific goals for the day too. That's actually a really good point because I find that I kind of want to see everything. And I know people from out of town often, that's all they can do is get a big overview, do the loop, you know, something like that, or go uh, to the other side of the mountains and come back. But going in with a specific is probably a pretty good idea. I just kind of grab shot like, oh, I'm driving along. Oh, look, there's a thing. Right. <laughs> Which is probably a nice thing to have a guide to. If you say, hey, I'd really love to see, you know, big, big mammals. What can we do? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, and this might put you on the spot a teeny bit because we didn't prepare for this, but <laughs> I know you're an educator. Do you have like any top tips for photographing wildlife while you're out for people that might have maybe a consumer level camera? So for somebody that's looking at once photographs of wildlife, but they may not have the long lens, they may not have the expensive gear that, that sometimes some of these shots can take. The best thing I can recommend and suggest is to think, is to remember that no photograph of an animal is worth the animal safety. So if you don't have a long lens, try to still keep the distance that you need to keep the animal safe and then think of the animal and the environment. So we talked right at the beginning of the show about 
landscapes, I call them um, environmental portraits, where the animal is placed within a much larger landscape. And in a place like Rocky Mountain National Park, I mean, the landscapes are gorgeous there. So, so rather than trying to get really close in on an elk, maybe step back a little bit and say, what does this elk look like in this grander scheme of mountain peaks and tundra and flowers and meadows and, and different things like that. So I think that's something that I always try to remind people that, you know, we're, we are in these animals world. So let's keep them safe. Let's keep them stress-free as much as possible. And by doing that, let's look at what equipment we have and what can photograph can we capture with that equipment without stressing the animal. So Absolutely. If you want to take a long lens out there, if you want to use the teleconverters and the lens to even magnify your 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 shot a little bit farther, um, go for it. it. But those things are expensive. They're heavy. They're they're cumbersome to work with sometimes. Um, so yeah, use a wider angle lens and and try to to position that animal in a in a grander landscape. I think those photos are absolutely the the best wildlife photos that you can capture these days. Really? Wow. And you have some stunning examples on your website. I can see what you're, you're talking about. Um, I'm looking at one where there's elk with, I'm assuming, a sunset on the mountains range behind them. And it tells such a story. Exactly. Just here's an elk. I wonder where they were. Oh, oh I could see where they were. <laughs> exactly. So, especially if you have a phone. Um, so you could get all of that in one image from the side of the road or your parking area. Exactly. Which you know, <laughs> as, as the year goes on at Rocky, we get into more elk activity in the fall and it's very tempting to want to step closer, but you really need to stay where the rangers say on the road for everybody's safety. And yeah. let's not stress out the animals, right? Yeah. It's even, you know, I, I like to photograph wildlife, but I'm going to do it safely for them. Right. Yeah. The other, the other thing too with wildlife is the better wildlife photos are when you understand the behavior of, of the animals and, and can be able to not just understand it, but anticipate it. Mm. So for example, you just brought up elk it, during the rut. If you want to photograph a bull elk bugling, you don't want to be out there in the middle of May. They just don't do it. They, mm -hmm. That's not the season for that. That's more of a mid-September to mid-October timeframe when, when those bulls are out there looking for cows and they're defending their territory and their harem. So that's, that's the communication tool they use to do those, those techniques, those tactics. Um, so that's a big part of wildlife photography is the behavior of the animals themselves. And the more you understand the behavior of particular animals, the better chances you're going to have to not to be there at the right time, anticipate the action and be prepared for what you're looking for. So for example, this time of year, the pika are up on the tundra and they're collecting, they don't hibernate in the winter time. So what they do is they actually build what's called hay piles or they cache, they cache food for the winter. So they create these hay piles of plants and flowers and spread them out. They dry up and then they actually store them under the rocks and they feed on them all winter long. But they have to spend all summer actually collecting them. So that's where you get some of these fun photos of pika as they're running along the tundra collecting these plants. And what I've observed is that as you watch these pika, they tend to have a particular rock that they'll like to stop on. Mm. So rather than trying to chase after the pika running around, find that rock that they like, focus on that, and then when they stop on that rock, you'll be ready to, to click the shutter. And actually, that makes it 
a good point because what happens is we often, as a tourist especially, you stop, oh, that's a lovely site. You're there for a few minutes and go on. But wouldn't it be amazing to stop for an hour, two hours, and just observe? I know, uh, what place is it in Rocky up on Trail Ridge? I think it's Rock Cut, and their pike are like pretty much right there behind the bathrooms in the rocks. <laughs> like yep. You could just yeah, really stand moments. on the trail and watch pika for hours. I could. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. It's, um, yeah, rock cut is definitely a really good spot for, for a lot of things. You can see pikas and marmots in that, that general vicinity. I've seen weasels in that general vicinity, mm -hmm. which will actually hunt the pikas. There was, um, on Friday when I was up there, there were elk floating around in that general vicinity. Oh. So you never know what's going to be, be in that, that area, but it's also a beautiful spot to look into forest Canyon and to look over to the never summer range. So it's a pretty spot for sunset. And, you know, there's just so many places in the park that are like that, that if, you, like you said, if you just kind of give it, you know, settle down a little bit and give yourself, you know, time to breathe rather than rushing through and really take in everything that's around you, you really start to notice a lot more. Well, and actually time to breathe. What's nice about that particular trail, if you go off down the trail, it's a little, uh, just a tiny bit of an incline, but you're at such high elevations <laughs> that you feel like you have to stop every few feet. But somebody at some point in time put these little trail markers and they have little sayings that you can read. So every time I'm on that trail, I'm like, I'm just reading about this area. And so right. they have little <laughs> spots you can stop and catch your breath and read. And once you get up there, yeah, there's just incredible views, isn't there? Absolutely. Yeah. I can't, Don, we only have a few minutes left, uh, but you touched on something in, in the very beginning that you're really passionate about, and that is conservation. And I know we've talked all this show about Rocky Mountain National Park, but you really do split your time between Colorado and Alaska, and you have a, such a heart for Alaska too, and you have a huge project you're working on there. We don't have a, a deadline, I don't think yet, uh, but let's touch on that for just a minute. Okay, so I am so I go up to Alaska every year. Unfortunately, this year I will not because of COVID. But um, I do go up to Alaska every year to photograph brown bears. I take a group up there. I've also been up there on my own um, to to go to different places and photograph them. So every year I've collected more and more photographs of these brown bears along the coast, um, sometimes in, in the interior, and basically doing what they do and. Last year, when I was sitting down over a beer, we were kind of relaxing in the lodge where I stay, and I was talking to the lodge owner, and we got talking about some of the mine projects that are getting ready to go in, and that have been proposed to go in on the Kenai Peninsula, or on the Alaska Peninsula. And what that'll do is if these mines, this one in particular, which is Pebble Mine, um, if it is actually approved and gets built, it'll be the largest mine in North America. Hmm. So not only is it just going to have an effect in this one general vicinity where the mine is, but it'll actually affect all of the rivers and streams and general environment ecosystem of the Alaska Peninsula. So that means it'll affect the salmon, it'll affect the tourism industry, it'll affect the brown bears, and it just, it's going to start dividing that area up. So it's really, it's not so much that, you know, it's, it's going to be a, a gold and copper mine and not that we don't need those minerals for things. I get that, but it's just not the right place. It's mm -hmm. such a pristine place that to see it destroyed for a mine that'll you know be in operation for 20, maybe 20, 25 years um, yet have permanent effects. Just, it just isn't the right place. So while I was talking to this lodge owner about it and he will be affected if it, if, if it goes 
if it is built, he will be directly affected because it will change and in the anticipation is deplete the salmon runs, which will then deplete the number of bears in the area. There's transportation corridors that are, if they go in where they've been proposed, will actually segment out where the hibernation routes are for the bears. Mm -hmm. So where they feed in the summertime and then and then go up in the wintertime, it'll actually um, create disconnect between those areas. So what I did when I came home last summer is I, I sat down and I'm like, all right, what can I do? How can I, back here in Colorado, how can I help this, this effort to stop this mine from being put, put in on the Alaska Peninsula? And I looked at this collection of more than 60,000 photos I have of bears up there. And I'm like, I can put a book together. I can show, rather than talk about the negative aspects of the mine, I can look at the positive aspects of what's there now. What's, what are those bears doing? What does that environment look like? What does the landscape look like? What do the bears do when they're out on the beach? Um, how do the mothers raise the cubs? How do the males fish for salmon in some of these, these rivers? So me and another guy that I, I pitched the idea to have decided that we want to put this book together called Bears of the Alaska Peninsula. And it's basically a, a visual representation of everything that we've experienced up there over the last 15 years or so. And it's a collection of photos from Katmai National Park, Lake Clark National Park, and McNeil River State Game Sanctuary, and showing each area and all the beautiful things that we've seen over the years. Mm. Um, so, so we're on the final stages of production on the book, but in the last, during the coronavirus shutdown, we actually found out that not only is the Army Corps of Engineers continuing to push this proposal or the, the research through, kind of while people aren't paying attention, which we thought was a little sneaky, but the mining company has actually changed their transportation corridors and some of the other proposed plans. So we need to change some content in the book to reflect that. So, but we're still working on it. It's still coming. Um, I'm pretty excited about it. So I think it'll be a pretty impressive, I know it'll be a pretty impressive book and, and hopefully it can do, do the job it needs to, to try to stop this thing. Wow. Uh, 15 years with the photographs into one book. What an undertaking. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> Plus all the other research. Right. Wow. Well, I can't believe we're out of time. I want to let people know one more time where they can learn more about you and see your beautiful images. DonWilsonPhotography.com is the hub, hub uh, website. And then you said also Facebook and Instagram you're pretty active on. Correct. Yeah. yeah. All of your photos always give me a smile. <laughs> I hear that a lot. I do hear that a lot. Oh, good. That's good. <laughs> it's a perk. <laughs> it definitely um, is. Gosh, Don, well, thanks so much for being on the show today. No, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Tales with Tales. I sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed recording it. If you have any feedback, send me an email at monique at silverpawstudio.com. Until the next episode, I wish you many woofs, purrs, and T-R-E-A-T-S's. KRFC 88.9 FM Radio Fort Collins. Critter Patter is recorded in their studios in the Music District in the heart of Fort Collins, Colorado.